name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and to the ages of all ages. Amen. Um, I think um, uh, you guys probably got an email or a couple of emails this week asking you for your questions. Um, in regards to um, what is, you know, uh, our Christian and specifically Orthodox take uh, uh, on or homosexuality, or how do we how how do we approach how do we approach homosexuality? Um, so I have some of the questions, some of the some of the questions that got sent in here, um, but I wanted to start off actually by just hearing your questions uh, because there's multiple different. Um, like spheres that we could talk about. We could talk about this, you know, on an ontological level, like from a, uh, an essential level in, in, of principles, like, you know, uh, we could talk about it from a uh, social level. We can talk, uh, talk about it on a relational level. We can talk about it on a psychological level. And inevitably, all these things are going to come into play. But I, didn't, I don't want to start off somewhere which is completely irrelevant to your existence. And you wonder to yourself, like, you know, why didn't come to this talk? My questions weren't answered. So let's just start off by hearing what are your questions in regards to, to um, homosexuality um, uh, in the Christian and Orthodox perspective. So I'll, I'll just, uh, while you're, you know, while you're thinking, I'm just going to, um, start off with a few of the questions that got sent in, but please don't hesitate to ask questions now uh, if you feel like you can. Um, if you if you don't if you don't feel if you feel too shy or something, tell the person next to you they'll ask on your behalf. Sorry, can you just explain in terms of the Trinity and how it, it like homosexuality opposes um, the Holy Trinity? Like I heard something about that one time, but I, I'm not very uh, clear on what the argument is. Sure, the relationship between homosexuality and the Holy Trinity. That sounds like a great question. Um, what other questions? What other questions do you have? Yeah, go ahead. Our, I record my talks. My spiritual father asked me to. I think he's going to give me some correction. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people believe like homosexuality and, Christ uh, and Christianity aren't, or like are mutually exclusive. Should we as Christians treat people who are homosexuals in that way? So, are, is Christianity and homosexuality mutually exclusive? And on a relational level, how should I treat people who are homosexual or who, uh, who label themselves as gay or lesbian or transgendered, bisexual, etc.? Okay. What other questions? So, I'll read you a couple of the questions I got here. Um, and then I'll do my best in the time allotted 
to kind of hit up hit up some of these answers and um, if you um, think of other questions you'd like to ask please uh, please don't hesitate and we'll do our best by God's grace to answer as many or all the questions as we can um, some uh, how some of the people in the church look at homosexuality as a diseased and as a disease and they are sick in their minds every time they see someone holding hands or kissing apparently they are going to hell um, and on that note, when a person of color comes into the church, they are judged by everyone. Another question that came in is, is homosexuality considered punishment from God because of Eve's sin along with other consequences such as child labor? If so, why do we condemn homosexuality as a sin rather than a human condition rendered by God? Great questions. Um, Another question, in this day and age where saying that um, you think homosexuality is wrong is something that is viewed in a very negative light. How should we go about our lives if, for instance, we have a friend who is gay? It's not socially acceptable to tell, him, or to tell them that their actions are wrong to their face. So what is our role as Christians? And another question that came in... Um, homosexuality has become so prevalent in today's world. What is the church's take on providing these individuals service in our careers, especially service that may be seen as accepting of their homosexuality? So I think the best thing we can do is probably just answer your questions. Um, and from, I'm sure from the answers to your questions, more questions will arise. Um, uh, as you get your questions, just ask them and we'll kind of do our best as we go along. So let's start off with my beloved brother, Peter. Peter's question. Peter asked a great question. Um, what is the relationship between homosexuality and the Holy Trinity? Well, for starters, when I say the word Holy Trinity, most people uh, feel like, like uh, very confused by the doctrine of the Trinity and feel like it's you know, very confusing and obscure and so on. And there are mysteries that will never... We'll, we'll never understand, but there are a lot of things that have been revealed. So let's talk about those briefly. The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have a perfect relationship of love in and unto themselves, right? Three persons of one essence, right? So the Father loves the Son perfectly, and loves the Spirit perfectly, and the Son loves the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit, the Father, and the Son perfectly. And there's a perfect relationship of love between them. And they... And they fit together perfectly. Um, and that's why, for example, when we do the sign of the cross, um, you know, not to dissect things too, too much in detail, but we, we put two fingers together and we put another finger and all, of, all three fingers are touching each other. And they're all facing each other. And when we say that God is of one essence and three persons, the word person in Greek is a persona. Persona means, as an expression, it means like a person, you know, you're a person, I'm a person, and so on. That's kind of the expression. But the, the literal translation of it, it means face, or more specifically, face to face. Right? So the word person itself means face to face, right? Means a relationship, means relational, means an eye to eye relationship. And that tells us that the Holy Trinity is deeply personal. The Father has a very personal relationship with the Son and the Spirit, and the Son with the Father and the Spirit, and so on. And these three persons have a perfect relationship in and unto themselves. And that relationship is a relationship of, like we said, love. 
The word love, translated in English, ha has, ha is just love, and we only have one really word for it in English, which is love. But the word in Greek that has three different words, sometimes four, sometimes people add a fourth word, right? Talking about three different kinds of love. I'm, I'm, I'm covering like, like I've done this as a talk here for the family meeting, um, uh, like and spent a whole hour talking about this, about God's erotic love. So but I'm, I'm like really kind of just compressing things for the sake of getting to the point, right? So um, three different kinds of love. They're not hierarchical. No, not one love is better than the other. They're just different. They're just different kinds of love. One is agape, or agabi, oftentimes said. The second one is philo, right? Third one is, uh, is eros, right? And, and, and in, in certain uh, literature, it's, they talk about them as hierarchical. One is the best, one is the worst, one of them is, is divine, one of them is base and human and so on. That is not our orthodox teaching whatsoever. We believe that all three are characteristic of God and that God exhibits and expresses His love through all three. God has an agape love. Agape is an altruistic love, like you, you give and you expect nothing in return, right? But it's also an impersonal love. Like when you see someone uh, you, d downtown panhandling and you know asking for money, you give them money. Why? Because they're created in the image and likeness of God, because God commands us to, because all of these things. But it doesn't matter whether his name is Bill or John or Joe or Jerry. It doesn't matter who he is as a person. So it's somewhat an impersonal love in a certain sense, but it's, it's altruistic. People say the love of Christ on the cross is, is purely agape. Well, yes and no, because it was not an impersonal love. He died for you, St. Augustine says. And if you were the only person on the face of the planet, he would have come and died just for you. So it is in, in the sense that he, he did and it is not expecting us to do in return. Philo is a second kind, another kind of love, right? Um, and is a, is a familiar or familial love. It's the kind of love you have with your friends. Have you ever had one of those friends who you ask them how you, they ask you how you're doing, you tell them I'm doing good, you say, uh, you know, what did you do on your weekend? And you say, I did this and I did that and so on. And then we went there and we had a great time and this and that. You say, how are you doing? They say, good. You say, you say oh, like, so how's your weekend? They say, good. You say, well, what did you do? They say, that stuff. Who did you do it with? People. And you're like, right? And then like, and they, if they do that once, twice, three, four, five times, eventually you realize there's no reciprocation, right? So you realize you can't really, you can't like take this friendship to the next level because it's stunted. Like it, it, it can't go to the next level. It requires, friendship requires reciprocation. Friendship is philo love, right? The friendship that you have or the love that you have with your family is philo love. And God loves us with this love as well. So people say, God only loves us with agape. No, God loves us with philo. In fact, it's rife through our midnight praises. Midnight praises starts with, Arise, O children of the light, Tenfino, right? And what's the, when we get to the part that has a chorus, what's the chorus? Glory be to you, O lover of humankind. Anybody know it in Coptic? Doxasi? Fila nethrope. Fila nethrope. He is the friend of humankind. He wishes, he, he was incarnate not so that he could have a top-down relationship with us. He was incarnate so he could have a philo relationship with us. Eros. Eros is erotic love. You know, you say Eros, you say, and I think Zanzibar, like the strip club downtown, right? Right? You know, we don't think of Eros as something holy that God could partake of. We think of it as something dark and shameful and base and bad, and right? And it's... 
something to be, you know, we don't talk about that in church. That's not, tr that's not right at all. Eros, Eros is an, un, an unreasonable, irrational, creational, extremely intense love. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. You know, when, when, when people make love, okay, they don't make like an itinerary, you know, this, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that. And it's not like that, right? It's just in the moment, and it just happens, and it's just beautiful, and there's no words for it, and it's uh, greater than anybody, anything anyone could ever think of, and blah, 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 blah. But there's no words for it. It's irrational. It's not something that this was made for. It's something made to be lived and to be experienced. And it's, it's based in attraction, right? And it's intensely, it's, it's full of intensity. God loves us with that love. In fact, that's the love with which he created the universe. Think about it. If God was perfectly rational, if God was an accountant, okay, and he did all the checks and balances, would he have ever created us? Would he have ever given us free will? No way, right? It's like, it's a like madness, right? It's not, it's not, God didn't do it, God didn't create us because it was profitable to him, to, for him to create us. It cost him his only begotten son, like, right? So, he created us out of this beautiful, godly, irrational, intense, creationistic love. One of the fathers describes, I think it's St. Basil, um, describes it, and I have a whole presentation on this. If somebody wants the slides, I can send them to you with all kinds of references and stuff like that, right? I think it's St. Basil, but don't quote me, says... That it's like this. It's like, a, like a, a, a painter who lived in a town and he had like an idea. And he got so obsessed with this idea that he'd always go around talking to people about this idea. But it was so vague. Everybody just realized that after a while they thought he was crazy. Right? And he was just absolutely obsessed with it. And he couldn't think of the perfect image to fully capture the fullness of the beauty of this idea. So much so that like it, it made him like... It's the only thing he talks about, and no one understands what he's talking about, so they all thought, he's crazy, right? So, one day, he wakes up in the middle of the night, because he dreamt of the perfect image. And in a fury, he picks up his palette and his paintbrush, and he goes to his canvas, he starts painting wildly, you know, to try to capture every last detail before, you know, like, before he can't see the image anymore in his head, right? And then... When he's done, I'd say it breathes a sigh of relief. He managed to capture the perfect image for this most beautiful idea, only to realize he never turned the lights on. He didn't need, he didn't need the lights. He didn't need to see. He didn't need his head. He didn't need his rational. Right? It was what he was experiencing, what he was doing, went beyond that. Right? And it's intense, and it's... Um, and it's based in attraction. God loves us with that kind of love as well. And God has all three kinds of love within the Holy Trinity. Father to Son, Father to Spirit, Son to Father, Son to Spirit, and so on, right? So, in that sense, in that sense, our sexuality arises from an erotic love. Our, our erotic love is made in the image and likeness of God's erotic love for us as his creation. And that love, 
preceded, that love didn't, that Eros love didn't suddenly come to existence when we were created. And like, you know, God said, oh, well, I guess, you know, like we need to find a way for, this, for the race to propagate and the species not to die off. So I guess we'll create this Eros love so that, you know, they'll all like, you know, like mating season, they'll all make love to each other and, you know, like the race will propagate. No, no. It existed, it pre-existed us. See, all of those thoughts, all of those thoughts make it sound like we're the center of the universe. Right? We're not the God is the center of the universe. God is the one. He is the origin. Right? And all of these things are in Him and we're created in His image and His likeness. Right? And God tells us this love, this, ir this, this, this irrational, intense love called eros, right? From which we get the word erotic as an adjective. Right? Isn't something that you can write a book about. Right? So you're just going to have to you're just going to have to experience it either through like spirituality, high levels of spirituality, which we know people. I, I know people. I have met people who have they have encountered that or through a marriage relationship. Right. And all of this is to iconify, to make an icon like the icons here. Like this is this isn't this isn't Saint Abbas Hayron himself, but it is an icon of him. Right. So like an icon. Right? Of the relationship between our heavenly bridegroom and his bride, the church. Right? And that's what St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 when he's talking about the relationship between husband and wife. And he says, but this is a great mystery. And I'm not speaking about a husband and his wife. I'm speaking about the relationship between Christ and the church. This is a great mystery. Right? So this whole thing of marriage and of which there is a subset of relations in marriage that are erotic, namely our, our intimacy, our sexuality, all of that is to reflect to us the, the magnitude of the love of God for us right in the erosphere. Of course, he loves us with agape and he loves us with philo, but he also loves us with, with eros. For completeness sake, some people add a fourth kind of love called storche, right? Which is, which is like affection um, in service, you know? Um, so, uh, when you're, when you're kind and affectionate, compassionate with, with people, the people whom you serve, God loves us with that love and he wishes for us to experience that love as well. And that's why we, we serve, um, uh, and, and we experience that love there. So that's a little bit about how the Holy Trinity and that, and that love. Now that love, that eros, that sex, that sexual love, right? God, when God created the world, right, he created them, male and female, he created them, right? And this is where we come now to talk about homosexuality specifically, right? And then Jesus in the gospel that we read in matrimony, Matthew 19, says male and female, he created them. That what God has joined together, let no man separate. We don't find in scripture anywhere that Jesus endorsed or condoned homosexuality. In fact, we find very um, clear and forthright scripture saying um, saying that it was that it that it that it is prohibited. Why? We have to ask ourselves why. Saying like knowing the list of do's and don'ts is helpful when you're a little kid, right? And your parents don't want you to like you know put your hand out and burn yourself on the stove, right? But as we grow a little older, you know. We need to understand 
as much as has been revealed to, to, to the church, why? Right? Like, what's, what's the big deal? Especially if... So, I, I, I have the blessing of accompanying several people who, the term that we like to use in the church, have same-sex attraction um, in their spiritual life. And honestly, it has been a big blessing to me. And I, I am deeply humbled by the spiritual lives of some of these people. One of them was sitting with me and he said to me, look, Puna, it's as weird to me to go out on a date with a girl as it would be for you to go out on a date with me. That's how I feel when you tell me, oh, why don't you try dating a girl? I never said that, but he said it's been said to him in the past. It's only when he said that that it really clicked in my head that like I'm married to my wife Mary and I don't really want to be married to anybody else, male or female, right? You know, but certainly not male. Like I'm just not me. Like, you know, it's just not for me. Like, you know, different strokes for different folks. Go do what you want to do, but it's not for me, right? Like, like, right? And Emiliana, like, you, you want to do what you want to do, you know, like have a field day, but, but don't force me. Don't force, that's not something, that's not my cup of tea, right? Like, I, I, I love you all, and I love all the men that I serve, and, and all of them, and I tell them that I love them 17 times a day, but they know clearly that I love them, you know, with an agape philo love, and it ends there, right? They know that I, I don't have any, any kind of other intentions, right? When I understood that that's exactly how he feels, just towards other men, um, that was, that was a little bit of a breakthrough. Um, that was a little bit of a breakthrough for me. Um, even in that instance, Jesus is saying he created the male and female. Why did he create the male and female? This is a whole realm of theology, which is, which is fascinating called gender theology. And we won't be able to enter into all of it right now. But when it says he created the male and female, so who did he create? Who did God create in his image and likeness? Adam or Eve? Both. Both. In fact, neither answer is correct. In Hebrew, when it says, and he created the male and female, the word male and female combined make up another synonym, another word for human. Saying that our humanity is complete when male and female are united. Now forgive me for being very, very uh, like biological, anatomical, okay? When we talk about union here, right? We're talking about union. We're talking about, like we're not talking about, you know, sitting next to each other on the school bus in grade three, right? We're talking about intercourse, right? Like when St. Paul says... You know, how can you become one flesh with a harlot, with a prostitute, right? He's saying that when you sleep with her, you become one flesh, right? So what are you doing? Like, are you one flesh? There's no fellowship between light and darkness and so on, right? There's no, right? Like, you can't be, you can't be, like, you can't, like, you know, water and oil are never going to become one, you know, they're always going to, right? So he's saying, St. Paul is saying in that context, a different context, but very much similar in that 
heterosexual relations out of marriage are not condoned either. Why? Why? Because the sexual relationship is the union between male and female, which restores the division, which restores the division, and makes us in the fullness of the image of God, male and female. Hold on a second, Abuna. Is God male and female? In Deuteronomy chapter 4, God says to Moses, Do not make an image of God in the image of a male, in the image of a female, in the image of, a, of, of an animal, in the image of this, in the image of that. God is clearly saying, I'm not male and I'm not female. That said, that said, Jesus only referred because this is very relevant to the transgender discussion, which is related to what we're talking about, but not as a discussion unto itself, right? Jesus never referred to the Father as anything other than Father. In some other churches, they'll refer to God as the divine parent. Or they will accept that some people will call God Father, some people will call Him Mother. Look, I'm not like, I'm not like, you know fundamentally opposed, you know, burn you at the stake if you want to call God mother. But I can tell you this, right? I don't want to burn anybody at the stake, right? So that's not a very useful statement, right? <laughs> but um, Jesus, never called, Jesus never called the Father anything other than Father. He never referred to Him as anything other than Father. He never ever once referred to Him as parent or as mother or as anything confused. He was very clear. He only referred to Him as Father. And no one has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten of the Father, He has revealed Him. John chapter 1, right? So, if Jesus, who's the only one who knows the Father, only referred to Him ever as Father, like, where, do, where in the line process did I become smarter than Jesus, and I know that, oh, by the way, you can also refer to Him as Mother. Or as... Now, that said, masculine and feminine are, 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 are attributes. Right, and that's it's kind of hard for us to process in English, but if you uh, speak Deutsch or if you speak French or Spanish, you know that the article that's given to any kind of object is oftentimes either male or female, or in Deutsch it can be undetermined. Right, so like a chair in French is la chaise. It's never going to be le chaise. It's la chaise. Right? And it's always going to be la chaise. Right? Why? I don't know. Ask the people who invented French. Right? But it's la chaise. Right? So this is to say that there are male and female attributes. Right? God is caring. God is nurturing. Right? Um, God is, receives us to himself. Okay? Forgive me, like this is a mature adult audience, okay? Think of anatomy and intercourse. Who's receiving who, right? The woman is receiving the man, right? He receives us unto himself. The bosom of the father is in the shape of arms receiving us. It's a feminine trait, okay? But that doesn't mean that God the father is feminine. In fact, no, all of us have masculine and feminine traits, all of us, right? But we will have a preponderance of expression of one versus the other, right? So, and that's what, what makes you a guy, makes you a girl, right? Is because you're expressing more of those traits, but God is the perfect expression of all of those traits, right? God is, God is also, you know, a leader, and He's our King, and He's the champion of heaven, right? And all of those, 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 warrior traits, right? 
which are all obviously male traits. I'm taking things that are very, uh, like, very caricatural, you know what I mean? But there's other, you know, finer things, of course, as well, right? So this shows us that the relationship between male and female from a very basic anatomical level is spiritual, right? And that relationship exists and is iconified by the anatomy. Like, God gave us physical things to reveal to us spiritual things. That's what a sacrament is, right? Like, you eat, you, you know, you eat of his body, you drink of his blood, you are one flesh with him, right? Physical things, manifestation of spiritual phenomenon or unseen grace, as St. Augustine says, right? So, our, our sexuality that God has given us is supposed to be, is supposed to be an, an icon of this, of this wholeness, of this union, right? Now, the anatomy, you know, only allows for male and female, right? Now, this isn't in any way, shape, or form. And what I should have said before I started talking, sorry, this was my introduction, but I got carried away with starting to answer the questions. I was too eager to start answering your questions. When we approach this topic, number one, we have to approach it with an enormous amount of respect. Number two, we have to know that a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people struggle with their sexual orientation. And it's not a walk in the park, right? So if someone is suffering a lot, we should have an enormous amount of love and respect for them. We should care for those people. We should nurture them, whoever they are. If any of you have questions about your sexual orientation, you're not sure where you stand, you know where you stand, and you know that it's not in agreement uh, with scripture or whatever I'm saying here, please, please know, no one is judging you. Everybody, uh, or, or, or I don't know, I can't speak for any, I'm not judging you. I love you. I care about you. I sincerely want your well-being. And I know that the struggle that you have already gone through and walked through is probably, can be greater than any struggle I will ever encounter in my life. I have an enormous amount of respect for you. All I wish is to uphold you and to serve you and to care for you to wash your feet honestly this is i'm saying this in all in in all um in all honesty so that is i don't know kind of answers a little bit your question of the relationship of the holy trinity father son and holy spirit unto themselves the relationship between god and his church is always being iconified male and female and that's how the anatomical bits fit together. They don't fit together, um, male, male, female, female. Um, that's that's just that's just not how that's just not how God uh, created them. And when we when we see the the root cause for why God created us as sexual creatures, like why did God not create us like deer? There's mating season. Everybody does their thing, you know, and then that's it, right? You know, like a year later, right? You know what I mean? If it was particularly good, you go and find the same one. If it wasn't, you go find another one, mating season, right? And the brace propagates and everything is okay, right? God didn't create us like that. God created us with our, our intimacy being one of our highest levels of functioning, you know? Being something which is deeply important to us. Why? Because it is deeply important to God. Why? Because it is an icon of our relationship to Him, Right? So that is the purpose for which God created our sexuality. In, in as much as our sexuality is no longer fulfilling that role, 
in as much as our, our sexuality is no longer useful for us, but potentially harmful for us. Now, you're going to say, but Abuna, can't a man and a man have that same love for each other that you're describing, or a woman and a woman? Yes, I understand anatomy, you know, thank you very much. But, um, you know, anatomy aside, can't they have that same love for each other? Yeah, yes, for sure, right? Um, you know, but the creationist side of Eros can't happen. Like, you know, the, the, the cre, you know, the, you know, creation can o only happen. Now, we don't believe that the erotic love that God has put between us and our sexuality and all that is strictly for procreation alone. No, it's not. It's as a reflection of our relationship with God, primarily. But also, our but also one feature of it is 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 this is this creationist side. So. Those are all things to kind of keep in mind between our relationship of the persons of the Trinity unto themselves, relationship of God with his church, relationship of human to human in relation to this, um, to, to, to that point about, um, about Eros. Just pulling up the questions. Um, so, in terms of referring to homosexuality as a sickness, um, in the current guide... Oh, sorry, Fetty. Uh, just like, I don't know if this is fully related to the last question. Yeah, sure. Why then does the church accept something like celibacy, where you're also sort of, like, you're not... Um, I, I, I'm not saying you're not honoring, but like, you, you don't... I don't know how to phrase the question, but... You're not full, fully living the full expression of Eros. Yeah, so, so when you said, like, the full expression of Eros, when, you, when you're actually in the image of God is, is when you express love for each other, well, then where is that in celibacy? And why is that accepted but not? Yeah, very good question. So there is an analog for, for Eros in ecstatic spiritual states that are, like, a level of spirituality that are, like, a little bit, like higher and farther than, than I've been, you know, but are typically things that people who devote themselves entirely to the worship of God will, may experience, right? Not all, right? Um, and there's a lot written about that, about ecstatic spiritual states, like literally, I'm using the word ecstatic in, in its literal sense, right? Where it's somewhat of a dissociative state, right? Where you're sort of your the body is here, but your spirit and your mind have, have, gone, have gone elsewhere, right? So, um, and that's also an irrational, intense, you know, love that is rooted deeply in attraction, right? And it's creationist in a certain sense in that, you know, through, through your union and your prayers with God, you bring the whole world closer to Him and to repentance, right? So, but it's not strictly speaking creationist, I agree. Like, like a child isn't going to go, you know, have this ecstatic spiritual experience and like, you know, like a newborn appears on your rug, your prayer rug, right? Like, it's not going to happen, right? So. How do you feel about the Metropolitan Community Church? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm kind of disconnected from the universe. I kind of do my own thing. 
Um, uh, uh, and so I'm not like like I'm not really here to kind of like uh, to, to to criticize uh, uh, anyone or, or anything, um, but um, for sure, for sure, from and we're, we've all this we've been talking like on an essential level, like we've been talking about essential principles. On a level of essential principles, we're saying that God created us to live in His image and His likeness. How do I, how do I have this? I can't have this conversation with little children, right? So now people, parents, oftentimes ask me to have this conversation with little kids because they're learning about this stuff in school. So what do, we talk, what do I talk about with them? To put it really simply, where am I going? Well, from here, I'm going to go home and then... I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I do my thing, go to Hashaya, go to church the next day, yada, yada, yada. And I can do that for a certain number of years, and then I'm going to go to paradise, right? Now, what, what are people like in paradise? Well, I don't know. Let's see what's written about paradise. Well, the m- most clear stuff we have written about paradise is written in the beginning of the Bible, right? And it talks about Adam and Eve. And it talks about how they were in a relationship of marriage before the fall. Notice the only sacrament that pre-existed, not that there were formalized sacraments at the, you know, at the time, but the only sacrament before the fall was actually marriage. So God feels really deeply about marriage. Marriage is really important to God, right? Be it our marriage directly to Him or our marriage through a spouse to him, right? So how did they live? Well, they lived male and female, and that's how they were married. So if I'm going there, I need to prepare myself to go there, right? If I am going to run a 10K marathon, I had better start you know, training because I'm really out of shape. If I know I'm going somewhere, I should prepare myself. I'm going to paradise. In paradise, how do they live Well, they live in perfect union with God and perfect union with one another. So if I want to get married, I will marry somebody who is of the opposite gender, the same way as it is in paradise, right? So it's like a very simplistic way of explaining explaining that. Yes, we are. that allowed a gay marriage and I went there just to speak to them and they were claiming that in the Bible there are gay relationships and that's what I was just wondering what your opinion is. Sure, sure. And then and then there's also uh, people that have said that, that there are gay saints and look, I'm, I, I, I'm not going to tell you that you know, same-sex attraction you know, is a 20th century, uh, you know, invention, right? In fact, we know very clearly that existed in antiquity, you know, we know very clearly that it, that, that it existed in Jesus' time, we know very clearly that it existed during the early church, right? And that's why it was, it was written about, right? So, um, it's not like, so is it possible that any of the saints of the church who were celibate, who had same-sex attraction, but struggled with it their entire life and lived a life of purity and holiness. Yes. Like, is it possible? 
Yes. I mean, my fathers are wiser than me, more educated than me, have read more than me, have studied more than me. Please, please correct me, right? But there's a big difference between being tempted and a big difference between succumbing to the temptation. Jesus was tempted, but he never succumbed to the temptation. In fact, in Hebrews it says he was tempted with every temptation that was known to us. He was, he was similar to us in everything, even in every temptation, except sin alone. Right? So, there are saints, and there are modern day saints, that struggled with same-sex attraction. And fought, fought it all their lives. Now, I was having this conversation with one of these young men, and um, he was actually doing all the talking. I was really just sitting and listening. And he was telling me, and some people say that, but do you realize what you're saying, Abuna? Do you realize what you're saying? Do you realize that you're saying that I have pure intentions, like I don't have, like I don't have perverted intentions or something, but towards someone of the same gender. And you're telling me that I have to live my whole life celibate, my entire life. How would you feel if I said that to you? And he said something which broke my heart. He said it, he started to cry, and, and my eyes welled up with tears right after. And he said to me, what makes you any better of a person than me? That I should have to struggle with this and you don't. And you get to you know, find yourself a wife that you think is beautiful and marry her and go on and so on, right? More than that, what did you do to be straight? And what did I do to be gay? And why should you, as a person who's straight, suddenly feel entitled to judge me, a person who's gay. I don't know how you feel, but that just killed me. That just killed me right on the spot. Because he's right. I, I don't know, I was born this way. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't take courses, I didn't, you know, I didn't get some postgraduate degree, or, you know, or I didn't work really hard, or run really fast, or jump really high, or pray really hard, you know? So when I say that some of these people I know have really struggled, really, really struggled so hard to live a pure and celibate life despite their same-sex attractions, I can't tell you how deeply I respect and uphold them. That said, that said, we're not gonna. I'm not. We're not gonna compromise our, our biblical teaching, right? So it's kind of like it's one of those things. It's so easy to go from one to one extreme or to go to the other, right? Father, let me tell you. Just the, the, the question. I think that one that just asked a very important question that uh, our uh, beloved homosexuals raise all the time. That uh, this is how they are. Their uh, genome built as such, be a homosexual. They are like that, they are created like that, they are living for that, and they will die for that. We know that our church believes and trusts otherwise. How about scientifically? There are any scientific background to prove that there are certain people who are just having this genetic message 
to be homosexual and to live as such all their life? I'll give, uh, if, it's, if you allow me, I'll give two answers. I'll give a specific, clear, and straightforward answer, and I'll give also uh, a more practical and, I think, a more useful answer. The, the answer specifically to your question, uh, Abuna, is there any scientific evidence that, um, that uh, ho like, there's like a gay gene, you know, or a bisexual or a transgendered gene? that it's genetic or that there is some, you know, some, uh, some genetic cause for this. There's been a lot of research in this. There's been some evidence and then some conflicting evidence. Really, there's nothing that you can hang your hat on and say for sure, yes. There is some evidence that is suggestive that, it, that there, is, there are genes. There is, again, other evidence which is strongly subject, 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 suggestive that there is, that, there, that it is not. So really, it's very gray. But I'll ask you a question, right? If it's genetic, if it's genetic, then the person really has no, had no, has no say in the matter. They are born that way, and they are born, you know, predetermined to have these, these same-sex attractions. If the other, like, so if that's not the case, so if we don't believe that that's the case at all, suppose, right, which is the prevailing belief in the, in the, in the Orthodox Church, right, that it is not genetic, although it is, it's not, it's not, it's not scientific, uh, it's not scientific, it's just the, our belief, right? which is important and everything. Well, what's the alternative? The alternative uh, hypotheses all relate, relate to early childhood experiences between sort of the ages of 2 and 12 and a variety of different influences. Now, do you choose your early childhood experiences? Do you choose who your parents are? Do you choose who your caregivers are, your daycare teachers, your coaches, your school teachers? Do you choose to be sexually abused or molested or neglected or as a child? No. So whether it's nature and it's genetic or whether it's nurture and environmental influences, which is the prevailing belief in the Coptic Orthodox Church and in the Orthodox Church at large, it really, it really doesn't matter. Either way, the person doesn't choose to have same-sex attraction. In the underwhelming, over, like overwhelmingly small minority of, of, of cases, someone does choose, does say, you know, I don't want to date women anymore, I want to date men, or I don't want to date, a woman says I don't want to date men anymore, I want to date women, right? Um, and, it's, and it's a choice. I, have, I haven't encountered that. I haven't, I haven't read uh, about it. I've seen like, I don't know, something in a movie or something once. But it's highly, it's, it's, it, it's going to be a, the one in a 10,000 kind of thing. Like I don't have numbers for you exactly of how many people make an active choice to change their orientation towards same-sex orientation. Right? In, 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 in like, and to support this, the, the, level, the rate of mental illness amongst the, the LGBT community is 80%. The suicide rate is 25%. One in four people who identify as LGBTQ will commit suicide. Look, these, these people, and if any of you are, identify as LGBTQ, 
are going through an enormous amount of suffering. Take a step back for a second and ask yourself, is anyone going to choose that for themselves willingly? Like, no, nobody's going to just say, I, I, I want to I I suffer horribly, you know? It would be the overwhelming minority of people. So, people often come to me, people who identify as gay or lesbian or, or, or transgender, come to me often and say, look, the first thing that comes out of some people's mouth, most people's mouth, is I didn't choose this. And I can't help but nod my head, right? Whether it's genetic or not. And when people say, no, but Abuna, okay, it's, it absolutely cannot be genetic. Look, you know, people have genetic breast cancer. People have genetic uh, pancreatic cancer. People have ge ge genetic diseases. God didn't, God didn't create us that way. God created us in a restored state. And our genes have adapted, maladapted, in funny ways that have caused us to be predisposed to having these distortions, is the word that the Orthodox Church likes to use, from our restored state. God created us, and then we got distorted. Other distortions are other like heterosexual relations outside of marriage. Lying, cheating, stealing, pride, arrogance, all of those, right? And when St. Paul lists, when St. Paul you know, has his lists of shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, 1 Corinthians, and, and, and in Romans chapter 1, you know, homosexuality and sodomites are amongst one of many. Disobedient to parents is in there too. I'm sorry, but like I'm, I've been guilty of that, you know, right? And I don't know who of us has been perfectly obedient to their parents all their lives other than St. Mary, right? But I think, you know, Jesus tells us very clearly, let he of you is without sin throw the first stone. So clearly, clearly, the position of the church is to be like the bosom of the Father, to have unconditional love and acceptance for all, regardless of what your struggle is, whether you're struggling with lying or cheating or stealing, or you're struggling with your holiness and, and purity, whether that's in a heterosexual or that's in a homosexual or your confused state, the church's arms are open wide to you and love you dearly and wish for you to be in the family, in the family of God, right? Absolutely. This is without a shadow of a doubt, without any hesitation, the role of the church is unconditional love and acceptance for everyone, regardless of your height, how tall you are, how short you are, how wide you are, hair color, sexual orientation, skin color, whatever, right? The church's arms are open wide to you. Now, does that mean that, um, that we condone homosexual behavior? No. Does that mean that we condemn homosexual or same-sex attraction? Neither. Right? That means, it just means what it means. We treat everyone with unconditional love and acceptance. None of us know when we will, our, our next true and wholehearted and full repentance will be. I don't know when the next time I'm going to fall down on my knees and repent completely from all my heart before God. 
I don't know when the next time that is. I hope soon, right? But I don't know. So I'm hoping that the church will always receive me with open arms, hoping that this is my day of repentance, right? Now, what about can someone who experiences same-sex attraction change? The answer is, without a shadow of a doubt, a resounding yes. However, recently, this is commonly called conversion therapy if it's done as therapy. Recently, conversion therapy has gotten a really bad rep because a lot of people who have participated in conversion therapy have, be, have then gone on to commit suicide. So, somehow, conversion therapy seems, there seems, I don't want to say that it's bad or that it's good, I just want to say that, you know, I don't think the jury is out, and I don't think, I certainly don't know enough to say something highly intelligent about straight-up conversion therapy. So, we, as a church, are kind of, you know, have not made, like, a, you know, a public statement about conversion therapy and refrain from doing so, waiting to see what people with a lot more experience are doing. The people who are the most experienced in the Coptic Orthodox Church with this have, have cared for and loved and accompanied. Approximately, there's two priests in the Coptic Orthodox Church that are dealing heavily with this and they've accompanied about sort of 200 people each. Um, as they work through their sexual orientation. Um, so there are you know, other organizations that have cared for thousands, right? And they aren't, are on the fence about conversion therapy. So for the moment, I think the church, the Coptic Orthodox Church, we welcome everybody with open arms. We love everybody. Um, we don't discriminate against anybody. The teachings of the church are the teachings of the church, and scripture is scripture, and we're not, we don't have any intention of changing that, right? But that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that we can't love and accept everybody uh, with open arms. Let me see if I can, it's, uh, we've already been 54 minutes, so let me see if I can hit up a couple of other questions quickly, or if there's questions in the audience, please feel free. Yes, how do you go ahead. Coptic Orthodox um, community about particular rights of um, people who experience same-sex attraction. So I know some of the discussion, not necessarily within our community, um, dealing with rights is the right to adopt. And if two people are married in like a common law marriage that's recognized by the state, do we recognize or have a discussion about their ability to adopt a child? So, um, so usually in, in the Coptic Orthodox Church, we kind of we're kind of a step uh, away from that, in that we we wouldn't encourage two people who have same sex attraction for each other to cohabitate in the first place. Okay. okay so suppose, can I use you as an example, Fedi? Sorry. Suppose Fedi and I have same sex attraction for each other. Right? And we have the same spiritual father. And we're both struggling to live in purity and holiness according to the teachings of the church. Right? The church would discourage us from living under the same roof. Now, can someone 
who is single and celibate and has every intention of being so, who has same-sex attraction, adopt, that's something that that person should probably discuss with their spiritual father. Does that answer your question? Um... Uh, so there was a question about referring to homosexuality as the disease. I started answering that. It, it was, uh, for, you know, for, for I know like when we you hear that, especially in our 21st century, with our 21st century ears, you feel like, oh my God, that's like so awful. Like who could ever call it a disease? Well, you know, in the DSM-3, which is the manual of psychiatry, um, not the current one, the, the current one I think is the DSM-4, uh, five now, so five, four, so three, yeah, uh, you know, I've been away from medicine for a few years, right? Um, uh, it was actually, it was actually uh, listed as a disease with criteria. It has been removed, right? And uh, it does us well as a church not to pretend to be experts in things that other people are experts in. So, uh, as my humble personal opinion, I am now a priest as you can see, my medical knowledge is out, somewhat out of date, right? It, it serves me well to just be a priest, right? So if the, if the people who are doctors say it's no longer classified as a disease, that's fine. From a medical perspective, from a mental health perspective, it's no longer considered a disease. Sure. Okay, I can accept that, right? Now, from a spiritual perspective... Is it considered a disease? Well, what is a spiritual disease? Anything which is outside the restored state. So am I spiritually ill? Yeah, right? Anyone who has anything on their confession list has some spiritual illness requiring some spiritual healing. Again, no different, no different from someone with you know, heterosexual, lustful desires, someone with, and so on. And no different, like the person who has same-sex attraction, but is living in purity and holiness and rejecting those impulses, is living in more holiness than a lot of people who are giving in to their, to their, um, to their lustful desires. So that's about the whole question about it being referred to as a disease. Another question, in this day and age, where saying that you think homosexuality is wrong is something that is viewed um, and is something that is very, you viewed in a very negative light. How should we go about our lives um, if, for instance, we have a friend who is gay? Unconditional love and acceptance. It's a non-issue. What if his hair was red? Uh, you know, what if she was overweight? What if she was incredibly slender? What if whatever? Pope Shenouda has a, has a phrase that I absolutely love. It doesn't translate so well in English. أنا مالي خليني في حالي أنا مالي خليني في حالي right like how is it one of my colleagues before I you know finished in my previous career and became, became a priest was gay outwardly gay overtly gay right I don't want to hear I had two junior fellows like two people who were immediately under my supervision and they had five people under their supervision the two of them right one of them was straight, one of them was gay. I don't want to hear what you did in your bedroom last night. I don't want to hear from you, and I don't want to hear from you, right? Keep what you do in your bedroom in your bedroom. How is it any of my business? 
right? Now, somebody wants to talk to me, somebody wants to vent to me. If that isn't a stumbling block to you, sure, fine. If it's a stumbling block to you, say, you know what? I don't know where I'm at with all this stuff. I love you and I accept you and I think you're a great person, but I don't like to talk about all this personal stuff. Um, so, like, yes, unconditional love and stuff, but um, where does where do we draw the line? Like, are we allowed to attend their weddings? Are we allowed to invite them to our houses? Like, like, where does it, where does that friendship allowed to go? Kind of. Honestly, honestly. I think take guidance and advice from your spiritual father and do what your spiritual father tells you to do because your spiritual father knows you best. But in my own little microcosm world, I don't treat anybody who has same-sex attraction any differently than I treat somebody who has heterosexual attraction. Not my monkey, not my circus. It's not my business. It's none of my business. It's none of my business. Why, who you, this and that and whatever. You're comfortable going to their wedding? Ask your spiritual father, right? And see how he can help you to discern whether it, what brings more glory to God. For you not to go or for you to go? Does it bring more glory to God for you to go and to show these people that you love them and to continue walking the way with them until you have an opportunity to introduce them to Jesus? And he has an opportunity to begin to work in their lives. Uh, you know, great. If your spiritual father tells you, no, I think it's better for you not to go, fine. We're here to glorify God. We're not here to glorify ourselves or to do our own will. We're here for him, right? So as long as we keep that before our eyes, we should be okay. Other questions? Um, one of the big arguments that, like, um, that some people use um, and, like, I'm not going to say anything about the validity. Maybe you can answer that. But um, they say that the relationship between David and Jonathan, although they were like best buds, um, might have been homosexual. So I just want to know what you think about that. Yes, of course, I've heard that before. And I've heard multiple other saints, um, uh, like New, New Testament saints as well. Um, and without going into detail and so on. But any two saints of the same gender... I've heard it said that they, that, they, that they were gay, right? Or lesbian, right? There's absolutely no evidence for that whatsoever. There's no scriptural evidence for that whatsoever. Yes, Jonathan says, I have loved David with a love greater than the love for women, right? That doesn't mean that he's saying, he's saying the love that I have for him is greater than the love I would have for a woman. That doesn't mean that he's gay. And even if, even if he has... Even suppose he had same-sex attraction, right? There's, David never said anything in, like that in return. Scripture, if you read the Old Testament carefully, is not shy to talk about sexual issues whatsoever, right? If God wanted to, to clarify that they had same-sex attraction for each other, he would have. If God wanted to clarify they had same-sex attraction for each other and they acted upon it, he would have. Right? There's absolutely no evidence except for that one verse that could even be suggestive of the fact that they were anything other than best buds. That is the, that, that is the clear and teaching of, of our church.
right? I mean, when I have this, now, I've had this conversation with men who are gay, right? Usually, I'm not as clear and direct, it's a little bit more gentle, and so on. To say that, like, and anyways, right? Clearly, this is the teaching of the church now, right? How about the people who say that God will never um, accept me as a homosexual person because he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because people were acting in a homosexual manner? So they're like, there's no point, you know? Mm. Yes, that's an excellent uh, that's that's an excellent question. That's an excellent question, and the answer to that is all the modern day saints who have who have experienced same-sex attraction, struggled with it, lived in holiness and purity, and are saints and wonder workers. God obviously accepted them, right? But, um, but um, uh, in terms of that, we have to ask ourselves, why did God order the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Why did God order the, the genocide of the Amorites or the Amalekites? Why? Right? And like that's kind of like a whole other huge topic, right? But the short of the long is why are we on this planet in the first place? We're on this planet in the first place to return back to our restored state, right? To return back to our restored state. That's why we're here, right? When it becomes no longer possible for us to do that, there's no, long, no use for us to be here anymore. What happens to somebody in the Old Testament when they die? Anybody, everybody. Sodom and Gomorrah, David and Abraham. Where do they go? In the Old Testament, before the cross. Hades, right? And what happened in Hades between the cross and the resurrection? Bright Saturday. What happens? Hmm? Jesus went down. And what did he do in Hades? He preached to those who were in Hades. So those who did not hear the gospel on earth heard it where? In Hades. So we don't know. And he, those who accepted the gospel, he took them to paradise. So who am I to judge and to say that not, nobody except the handful of saints you can name on, on, your, on your one hand in the Old Testament, those are the only people who went to paradise from the Old Testament. Everybody else rejected the gospel. We don't know that. Jesus went, he preached the gospel in Hades. Whoever believed, whoever believed, he took with him to paradise. Wait, where is this from? Because I've never heard of this before. First uh, Peter chapter 2. My fathers are more well-versed than me. They can find the verse for us, or I can look it up. And this is essentially the service of Bright Saturday is all is like all about is all about this, right? Read this first and then take one more question. There is a second Peter, maybe second Peter chapter one.
3.19, there you go. 1 Peter 3.19. So I'll just start from verse 18 for you, sweetheart. For Christ also suffered once for sins, and the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which, that is, a few eight souls were saved through water. And he goes on afterwards to talk about baptism. But it's that specifically that verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Prison here specifically being, specifically being Hades. No problems here. Um, there was another question that got texted in. I got emailed in. Um, Question number four. Um, homosexuality has become so prevalent in today's world. What is the church's take on providing these individual service in our careers, especially service that may be seen as accepting of their homosexuality? So, I have this kind of party line of unconditional love and acceptance, and that's kind of like my party line. And that's what I say, and that's what I do with everybody. It's happened to me once where that was misunderstood as, oh, so you don't believe that stuff in the Bible anymore, right? And then, you know, I took a step back and I just made it very clear, no, no, I believe in this, right? I believe everything the Bible says and I believe everything the church teaches and I have absolutely no intention of teaching anything differently or running my little church downtown any differently or anything. But that doesn't mean that I can't love you and that I can't be your friend. Like, can you be friends with somebody who is, I don't know, whatever, has some, any other distortion from the paradise state? Yes, of course. Uh, if you can be friends with me, I'm living distorted and trying to, to, return to, to return to the state in which God created us, right? And you can be my friend. Why can't I be friends with this person, right? So... I can love everybody, I can be friends with everybody, I can serve everybody. Um, uh, several medical professionals have asked me, you know, about providing services for the gay community in, spe in specific, the LGBT community in specific, you know. Um, it's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Um, again, it's none of my business. It may, if you're a medical professional, it may be something that you need to know. Sometimes we do ask people if they're sexually active, how many partners have you had in the last year, and so on, because those questions are relevant to what you're doing, right? But for me, as a priest, it's highly, you know, it can, in many instances, it's highly irrelevant what you're doing, how many partners you have. And Ameli, not my monkey, not my circus, right? Not my business. Not my business. It's none of my business, right? And honestly, that approach—that um, approach has has given me a lot of peace. Um, I think we'll just give the fathers a, an opportunity to comment on any of the questions that have been presented. Who not I think the door for repentance is open. As long as they, as uh, Abuna John said, they are struggling and they are doing their best <laughs> to become straight and to come to the church and to come to attend liturgy, and to come for communion, and they are going for confession. Yes, yes, we give them communion. We encourage them to repent. We open our arms to them. Christ is opening his arms to them. And we encourage them with whatever advice, 
that may be beneficial for them so that they can be straight and they can come back to the flock and be parts and partial of the community of Christ in the church. There's nothing else for me to say, but yeah, uh, I'll just echo a, a, ter, um, uh, a sentence that I read in one of the books. I don't recall the name of the author right now, but um, basically he's asking at the end or towards the end of the book, uh, what's the opposite of uh, homosexuality? And uh, as many of us might have answered, uh, it's heterosexuality, but it's not. It's it's wholeness. So the opposite of homosexuality is wholeness. Is to go back, as Abuna was saying all along, is to go back to that original image that God created us uh, uh, on. And uh, I was also uh, listening to a sermon by uh, His Grace Bishop Yusuf, and he was mainly talking about maturity. And then uh, he was talking a lot about um, there is always has to be truth and there is always has to be grace so truth without grace brings condemnation and grace without truth it brings uh, the opposite uh, side which which is uh, could be like just indulging because I, I think that no matter what I do uh, I, I will be just uh, going uh, in through grace but grace brings uh, or, or it brings um, what's good and truth brings what's right so what's right I can only do what's right through the grace of God and that's what Abuna also was saying is that the truth is there in the Bible and the bosom of the Father is open for us all at all times Thank you, my Reverend Fathers. I just finished with one final note. Please, as uh, now I'm not speaking in the voice of the church, or I'm not speaking in the voice of a, a person in authority. I'm just speaking to you as John. Okay? Imagine I'm wearing jeans and a T-shirt, and I'm just talking to you. Please, 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 for the love of God, please. Treat everyone with love and respect. The, the LGBT community has suffered enormously um, uh, at the hands of society, at the hands of people who are straight, and so on. Most people who come and approach me and ask me uh, for, you know, and share their life with me, they come with an enormous amount of pain and suffering and hurt. And it's, rare, it's rarely like at the hands of, of other people who are, who are gay. It's usually the hand from, from people who are straight. And we, we just, we really have to be very loving and very sensitive. If we ever want to see the church open its doors and love and accept everyone, it really has to start with us.
right? There's all kinds of like jokes that have really inappropriate innuendos. Those things are just, they're just very hurtful. Imagine if somebody was saying that about your brother or your sister or your father or your mother, right? You wouldn't stand for it for a second, right? So we shouldn't stand for it for others. I'm not calling for activism. I'm not calling for us to go and join the Pride Parade. It's a whole different discussion what the Pride Parade is and what that's all about and, and all of that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that we should be activists. I'm just saying we shouldn't contribute to the hurt and the pain that is already so rampant amongst people who have same-sex attraction or identify themselves as LGBT. Glory be to God forever and ever, amen.